Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Nancy Basnoyan, who is the 21-year-old founder and chief executive officer of End No Sleep, which is an international NGO on a mission to help you get a good night's sleep. She is originally from Aleppo, Syria, and a freshman at Columbia University. As you can imagine, we go deep in the topic of sleep, but also talk a lot about entrepreneurship, how this idea originated, um, and just all those things that kind of happen, especially in early in life, that progress things forward and ultimately um, get people on a path toward uh, the specific mission that they have. Hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. So without further ado, my chat today with Nancy Basnoyan. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, you know, sleep is such a massive thing in my life. So I want to go down that rabbit hole a bunch. You know, it's so funny too. It's kind of serendipity how things happen. You know, you and I met in Clubhouse, which who knows if that'll even be around in a year. Um, but uh, it's just interesting how just like randomness of how you meet people and, and especially in this digital day and age, right, where we're all over the world. So one, great to connect with you again. Thanks for coming on here, uh, sharing a little bit of your journey. Why don't we start off? I always like to give the platform sometimes to, you know, if, if we're in the elevator kind of going, going up to the cocktail party of 30 seconds, what are you doing now? What, what can people, you know, if you're like, hey, this is what I do share that with everyone up front because that'll give some context maybe better than the intro that I did so yeah of course um again thank you for having me so yeah my name is Nancy I'm 21 years old I'm a student at Columbia University but also the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called and no sleep so we focus on bettering sleep in vulnerable communities through education awareness and direct service I'm also a public speaker I share my journey um you know going through war, thriving, and also what you really need to do to believe in yourself and the power of, you know, just focusing on your dreams and doing the best you can to live them. Yeah. I want to start in, I could start in 10 different areas, but I want to ask this question. How does one become a sleep activist? Where did that like come at your age to want to be a part of that? Yeah, of course. So, you know, like activism is right, fighting for something that you truly wholeheartedly believe in and something that you find like a fundamental human right. So when I was a junior in high school, I suffered a lot from sleeping problems and I had little to no resources to turn to. So every time I would bring up like, hey, I'm tired, like I would sleep eight hours a night, would go to school, like wake up at 6 a.m. having slept the entire night or sometimes even more than eight hours, would go to sleep and like fall asleep in class. I could not keep my eyes open. I was always tired, would sometimes come back from school, eat at five, sleep until the next day. And obviously my parents knew that wasn't something that was normal. Um, I knew there was something going on, but I just 
couldn't figure it out. And, you know, every time I brought it up to anyone, they would just say, your like sleep schedule is wrong. This is this, like, they're just giving me random excuses and focus on everything else besides my sleep. So I started doing research online um, and just Googling it and come to find out there's a study done that, you know, it said socioeconomic status and sleep are directly correlated. And people who need sleep most, which is, you know, everyone, but people who suffer most like from uh, nighttime, maybe job shifts, et cetera, are the ones who aren't getting sleep at all. Um, and that was to me, like, I never considered my sleep a luxury. I never considered like having two pillows a luxury or, you know, having a bed a luxury. So that's when I really started talking to my friends, um, talking to community members and realized, you know, sleep is not considered a luxury. And I believe it's a fundamental human right. So what can we do about that? And that's where the whole and no sleep started because I, you know, sleep should never be something that is unobtainable for so many people. Um, so that's how kind of my journey started with really fighting for the right that everybody deserves a right to sleep. What did you discover going down the path? You said you were sleeping at what would appear to be odd times and all that. Like, what was the, do you know what it was related to? Have you figured that out? Yeah, I went to, so the thing is like, I fixed it a little bit, talk like doing the online research, like not having my phone or not drinking coffee, um, really sleeping and waking up at the same time. But I realized that I was still, still like struggling. And then actually the past two months, um, I found out like the main reason, even though I had all these changes made to my lifestyle was that I suffer from, um, I'm not being able to breathe from my nose when I sleep. So I only breathe through my mouth and that way I'm not getting enough oxygen and my body's always tired. Those problems had gone away for a little bit, but when they came back, I went to see an ENT and then that's how I figured out, okay, this is the reason. Um, and it's a serious medical issue. I might have made surgery, et cetera, but um, that's the reason. So when we talk about sleep too, it's like, take your sleep seriously. If you have problems sleeping and you're doing the, you know, daily changes and lifestyle changes and it's not working out, you should see a doctor and you should be adamant about, you know, I don't want to focus on other areas. I just want to focus like, this is my sleep problem. And what can we do about this? What was the, you mentioned the ENT. What, what, what is that? Um, um, it's uh, the, the doctor for like your ears, nose and throat. Oh, oh, ear, nose and throat doctor. Okay. Okay. Um, I didn't get the abbreviation there. Yeah. Cause I was like, you know, I feel like I breathe through my, like I always have, maybe it's just partly the allergies. I don't know, but I always feel like I have trouble like breathing through my nose. And I don't know if that's a, something I should be considering going and checking out. I don't know. Definitely. You should definitely do that because that might also be affecting your sleep. And even though you don't know that you will have like daily symptoms or side effects from it that do contribute to, you know, negatively to your life, but you have no idea what the source is. So you might figure out like the main source is your sleep. Hmm. You definitely check it out. Yeah. So with, um, do you find it's more, is it education then what you're trying to do? Or is there another, is it just people don't know they should like, like you use the example of, Hey, someone's working a third shift. So they're not able to get the enough sleep, but do they not know any better or they just don't have the means to it? What's kind of the direction you think you're, you're trying to take? So it's been almost two years now for end no sleep, but the first year was really trial and error and trying to figure out, okay, what, what, how do we meet the needs of the community, right? What's the gap? And I think the gap is for the longest time, we had no idea why we slept. So people had 
no clue. It was just a waste of time, right? Like you still see, I still see on social media sometimes scrolling through Instagram or TikTok. It's like eight hours of sleep is a waste of time. If you want to be rich, don't sleep. And there's all these myths and misconceptions about sleep that people don't take it seriously or people think like, okay, if I'm not, if I want to do this, like I'll just not sleep tonight. I'll pull an all-nighter because not sleeping is considered like cool. And so really, like you said, education and changing, shifting cultures like talking about sleep, letting them know why sleep is important because now we have the data and now we have the science. It's just a matter of fact, how do we brand that in a way where people have access to that material of like why that's important and um, they start changing their, you know, I mean, who am I to say to shift the culture, but, you know, start changing the way they think about sleep in order to improve their life, but also like improve economy, et cetera. I mean, the U.S. loses over... $62 billion per year due to sleep loss only. Um, so it not only affects, you know, your health, but it is affecting education, like early school start times um, and economies. So all that stuff to like, let the public know this is what's going on and this is how you can better it. Yeah. Yeah. It is fascinating when you, you know, and I've really, and that's one thing that intrigued me about what you're doing. I wanted to talk more was, uh, you know, I've been pulling back the layers on sleep the last four-ish years, probably. And uh, I remember, you know, I, I think I mentioned this clubhouse, but like, listen to Dr. Matthew Walker on Joe Rogan, led me to reading his book, you know, Why We Sleep. And it's just amazing when you think about like everything from, you know, whether it's weight gain or being or, or accidents on the road or all this stuff, it ties back to sleep. And we want to tie it to something else. We don't want to just own up like, oh, if I just slept better, because that seems too easy, you know, it's just too yeah. easy. For some reason, too easy doesn't work as an answer. But no. it's amazing, you know? No, it really is. Like, I think it's what's fascinating about this topic in specific is that, you know, like you said, all you should do is just sleep right like it's it's not hard but i think it's that mindset of sleep being considered a waste of time or this culture of not sleeping pulling all night or school is that what's really need to change because people now know right like you need to sleep but um it's going to take more time for especially college or high school students to stop bragging about like hey i stayed up all night or i drank yeah. coffee and haven't slept for two days so i think that it's it's really the idea of shifting that culture of sleep, not sleeping being so cool. And like, how do we do that? And that's something like we're still discovering, you know, throughout this journey. I, I am still discovering throughout this journey. So you could have just done your research and figured out, you know, got yourself better. Why did you want to turn this into a nonprofit? Why was this such a big thing? to get to the masses, I guess. Like why you basically is what I'm saying, you know? I just, I think for me, it was like, okay, when I was 12 years old, I um, witnessed the Syrian civil war and my family immigrated to Los Angeles. And ever since that, you know, that year, I felt this huge sense of responsibility towards my community. So do anything I can to really help. Like I volunteered with a bunch of organizations, traveled um, to Ecuador to help. Um, and volunteer built schools, et cetera. But I think when I found this, something that was so close like to my heart and something that was so personal, and I realized like, hey, like what's being done about this? Um, and Googled like other sleep charities, which there are very few, but they do exist. And I was like, okay, then we need to do something about this. And I realized, okay, 
I just want to help like locally in any way I can. And then while building the nonprofit, we started having like this chapter system. And now we have, for example, a chapter in Armenia and we're still trying to grow that, but um, really seeing that this is an international problem. Like we're in a, currently in a silent sleep epidemic mm. and really trying to address that. And I was like, then I just wanted to do it. Um, I think there was nothing that to me that stopped me from really pursuing it. I just felt that sense of responsibility again and just wanted to go for it. Yeah. What, what was it like, you know, I've had folks on here a lot that are very well traveled like yourself. And it seems like there's such a different perspective you have versus just growing up in America. And, you know, so maybe take it from whatever angle you want, but obviously doing going through the civil war there and, and getting out of that, as well as kind of traveling these different countries, seeing how things work. How has that helped shape you at such a younger age? I would say I've seen many different perspectives of like different cultures and different way things work. I think I have, I'm more empathetic because of that. Um, it's never, you know, it's always like, what does, to me, it's like, what, what does the community need in that area of where I'm at? And I always think like, how can I better that? Or how can I understand for that? Or how can I learn from that? Um, I think just being in different countries, it's made me open my eyes to such different, like, problems um, and also sort of different cultures and learning how people work at, at the end of the day. And um, I think it's made me just genuinely more empathetic because I've seen more and I understand more. Um, and I also know there's like really no such thing as one thing works this way. Um, there are just so many ways to go about that one thing um, and just being accepting of different ways people um, approach things. Mm. How did you like? How did you know how to start a nonprofit? Is I'm curious about that because you you just started it. Like, did you did you just Google search something? Did you have some mentors? Tell me about those early days. You know, you said about two years. It's been doing it. Yeah. So the early days. Okay. Um, I googled it, like how to start a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, how to start, and then learning the difference between a 501c3, 501c4, and knowing board members. I think the one takeaway I would say for anyone who's starting a nonprofit is to really look into, um, you know, like uh, one thing that was very helpful for me was understanding online through just like different websites to know that you know, how the CEO can be a board member and like the regulations in different um, states in the mm -hmm. U.S. But then I just like wanted to, to have an attorney. I didn't have a lot of mentors, to be honest. I was very much something I did on my own. And I did it like the opposite way. Usually people have funds and then solidify their nonprofit. I um, didn't fundraise because I people who I had approached wanted the 501c3 status for their tax exemption. Mm -hmm. So what happened to me was like I worked, um, I was going to school and worked part time and then I saved money and then hired an attorney who was willing to work with me when I was 18 years old um, and just saved that money and then worked with them to make things legal. I was very curious about like every step of the way I wanted to make sure I understood how this, you know, entity is set up. Mm -hmm. And then it took me about, you know, maybe eight months. Like I took a first gap year after high school and I really did that to just build the entity legally. Um, and then started reaching out to people and close friends and had like two other members who wanted to build the foundation with me. And then, um, 
that's how kind of things were done. I just Googled online and found an attorney, like was on calls with attorneys and, you know, nonprofit attorneys are very expensive, especially um, in LA, like people start with like $10,000. But, you know, just doing your research and working with an attorney that will meet your needs. um, And then they set it up from there. And then you just, I promoted it a lot using social media. And then we started slowly growing. Mm. What's been the hardest part then the last couple of years? Is there one that you could really you know, circle on the paper and say, man, this was a pain in the butt. Yes. Finding board members. Mm. Huge. Like it was very hard um, for the nonprofit because I, you know, I've read a lot when doing the research that, you know, I didn't, we wanted board members that were very much passionate about this and wanted to contribute their time because I personally didn't have mentors. So we wanted like mentors for the nonprofit and really finding the right people um, to join and be able to give their time has been super hard. And, you know, like changing board members, I think those were the hardest struggles for me. Mm. Is there a, like, was there any anxiety getting started? Do you have any, I know a lot of, I mean, I know me personally, like even starting this podcast, like you have all this fear. What are people going to think? Like, wait a minute, you're starting a pot, you know, like with everyone like, wait a minute, when did, where did this come out of? You're going to start a nonprofit around sleep? Like, you know, did you have any of that anxiety kicking this off? To be completely honest, not in the beginning. Um, like I, when I first started it, I didn't have it because I was very much focused on the bigger mission, like for sleep. But then um, now I'm starting to really have it because it's their time where you need to grow. Mm -hmm. And um, I get a lot of anxiety now working through it. Um, I, you know, and being a student now and like trying to run the nonprofit, I feel because we've been going on for two years now, it feels like a lot of pressure. Um, So I think starting it wasn't as bad, but really maintaining and growing it has caused a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress because Mm -hmm. I, you know, at the end of the day, of course, like what are my goal is with the night and no sleep school is to really solve this problem and put an end to the silent sleep epidemic. Um, And it's like a lot of businesses fail, but how do we go about really maintaining what we're doing because at the end of the day our goal is the people um and not the business so i just that causes me a lot of stress all the time definitely how do you get the word out about what y'all are doing what are what are some ways you're trying to let people know about this is there a certain Um, creative tactics or maybe that's the board helping you giving you i don't know well we use social media a lot like instagram particularly also facebook um, but what I, what we try to do with, with our educational content is like cold emailing and outreach to schools to give presentations or set up booths at different fairs to make sure that our word is really out there um, and that stu- we're really focused on students and college students, high school students. Yeah. Um, so we're always present or we try to be present at areas or events where, you know, the students are the main target and that's how we really get the word out. It's like yeah. behind the scenes. Um, but we really want to work on our like Instagram growth because a lot of people find us through Instagram and a lot of connections have been made through there. So mm. that's been really interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I have to, Matt, I mean, again, we all need sleep, but it's definitely the educating the youth that are ultimately going to grow up and being those working adults because yeah. 
yeah, this, that's one thing too. And I have an eight year old and it's just like the, the school schedules really, it's like, as they get, as kids get older, the start times start earlier. And like, I remember in high school, I started at 750, if I recall, was my, was now, fortunately I didn't live that far from the school, but I imagine if someone lived, you know, 25, 30 minutes away and had, you know, now you're up at, um, it's just crazy, you know, that the, the start times and, and, and this goes back to too, like the, the length of days, like, could you actually shorten the days and still get everything out of it? But I don't know if that's part of your, the mission with the in no sleep, but you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I'm glad we t- we're talking about this because a lot of the ways why we're sleep deprived is also policy and structure, like early school start times, right? Like they, I was, we were at a fair once and I was present and I, a student came up and was asking questions and I was like, okay, he's interested. Um, and then we got into this, you know, like debate where he was like, well, I love what you're doing and I want to be part of this, but he's like, this is never going to change. I mean, I don't go about it with that mindset because I believe like, you know, maybe it's not going to change now, but we can change it in the future. But looking at it from a student's perspective, he was taking, he was up very early. Um, his commute was very long, probably 6 a.m., he wants to go to an Ivy. Um, he has to do at, like athletics. So he's part of sports teams. He has to do APs, which is a lot of loads of work. And he has to get home and do extracurricular activities. I mean, when is he supposed to sleep? Right? Like the real question is, and he has to be up to school because he can't miss days because that affects his attendance. So the real question is, how are we supposed to get him to sleep, especially if he wants to do well, he wants good grades, he wants to be the best, you know, student he can be, best athlete, best, you know, whatever he is he's doing. And that comes down to, you know, how policies are structured and how um, we need to fight for later school start times, because actually sleeping less than six hours is equivalent to being like legally drunk. Um, so we're technically sending kids like drunk to school, yeah. legally drunk to school. Um, so we need to change policies like that. And we need to find to fight for those changes legally um, to hopefully get to our mission. So it's like not like one way. The more we try to get closer to our goal, the more we find like, oh, there's so many other aspects of, you know, getting there and things we need to tackle in order to get there. Right. It always seems like there's another boulder to turn over yeah. because I even look at it from if I take the opposite angle of getting enough sleep is important, but actually because of all the things you just said leads to a lot of stress. And as we both know, the more stress you have, the harder it is to fall to sleep. So you might get to bed on time, but if you can't fall asleep for two hours because your brain is just racking of all the worry and stuff, like that's not good for you as well. You know, so how do we also take the stress and the pressures off these kids, um, you know, not having so much on their plate? Yeah, I mean, that's, I I was, you know, student not too long ago, and I remember the pressure. And I think it comes from teachers and students in schools prioritizing the mental health and sleep of students along with their academic success mm. um, and really focusing on things um, to make sure their students are healthy and doing well. Um, but you know, it takes a lot of time to make those changes, but we need to start somewhere. Um, and I believe genuinely also, again, going back to the culture of 
a lot of people when they have when what I talk to people, especially with, you know, I had previously suffered from like a lot of anxiety. So in my mind, before I go to bed, I think I'm wasting my time. I could be doing X, Y, and Z, right? Like I don't want to go to sleep. But really understanding and coming to terms with, I won't be able to achieve my goals if I don't get this eight hours. So that eight hours is almost like a to-do list. It's almost a task that I have to complete so that my brain is healthy, so that my body's healthy, so that I can be the best person I am and I can be the best leader I am. So really understanding that if I don't get those eight hours, my work won't be as successful as it would have been or as it could have been. And really like instilling this mindset and believing in it and going by that. Now I know that my eight hours are a must. Um, or even if I don't eat sleep eight hours, I know that my work won't be as great as it could have been if I had slept the eight hours. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely underscore that a ton because I, you know, that's one of those things with the journey I went through from sleep and uh, and prioritizing it and then figuring out how, because my brain's going a mile a minute. I don't know about yours, like going to, you know, like going to bed. So it's like, how do I slowly almost rev the engine up in the proper way so that I could gear it down at the proper time? You know, it's kind of like that ebb and flow um, and, and putting the bedtime routine. I don't know how, maybe we could chat about this a little bit, but like, and I'm happy to share mine. I don't mind doing it, but like putting a bedtime routine together has been so, because everyone talks about a morning routine. I'm not big on morning routines, right? I kind of do the same thing, but I, it's been, you know, it's different. It's really the bedtime routine is so valuable, you know, turning off um, electronics, like try not to be in front of this thing, this computer um, or the phone at least 30 minutes prior to bed for me. Um, like I always read before bed. I find for that, it helps. Now, the difference is I used to listen to podcasts before bed, but I realized like that gets me thinking so much, like again, had the audio for some reason. So I need to read because that makes me more drowsy. Um, sometimes I'll put on like uh, either some music. So like sleep music or I'll, listen, I'll do a med- like a headspace meditation prior to bed. Um, so like all these things, like even learning from, um, the why we sleep book, like turning down the temperature a little bit, making sure it's not too hot. So these are like, but these are things that took me many years to like, okay, I got to get into this rhythm. Um, and actually another thing too, and this is part of my intermittent fasting and everything, but not eating right before bed, you know, not eating a couple hours before bed is a huge thing. Um, and then lastly, it's going to bed around the same time each night. You know, not one night going at 9.45, the next night at 1 p.m. or a.m. And, it, you know, it's always basically around 10, 30, 11 every single night. But that's kind of prepped my body for, um, for hey, this is coming up, right? You're going to be sleeping versus kind of every day being different. It kind of throws it off. But anyways, that's that's a few things just to share um, because I think it's important. Um, and that's just through some self-discovery, right? Um, I think yeah. everyone can kind of do that. Yeah, no, of course, because you've hit on so many incredibly important points for the nighttime routine or just in general, why, you know, just like the educational aspect of how to get that night, good night's sleep, because, you know, for you is like really self-discovery, but you figured out, you know, what works best for you and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And for example, like um, the book, reading the book and putting to sleep actually helps also with memory retention. So you'll be able to- That's right. That's right. Um, I, I, in Dr. Matthew Walker's book, he mentions, um, I like, it'll be a pleasure. Like if you fall asleep, 
um, while reading my book because he knows you'll remember the information better. But yeah, definitely. Like for me too, it took me a lot of time to figure out um, what is going to help me fall asleep. I was recommended, you know, doing yoga maybe during the day and they'll prep me for my body at night. But I'm the type of person that I find meditation super hard um, and it wasn't something that worked for me. But um, also trying to stay consistent with the small things like really brushing my teeth, washing my face before I go to bed um, and doing that every single night. So my body knows like, hey, it's time for bed. We're doing these things to get there. Also turning off all the lights and like not using my phone. Um, I've been traveling a lot. So I think one thing I want to talk about too is, you know, it's, it's not, it's not possible. And we, I understand that to be able to get that eight hours every single night, right? There are things that come up like traveling or, you know, um, late night schedule, call, meeting, um, those things happen, but it's important to focus on the, not the 10% of the time where things can go wrong, but the 90% of the time where you actually do have control over your nighttime routine and doing that consistently. So yeah, that's amazing that you found yours because um, a lot of people struggle with that. Like that one thing that can help them or the few things that can help them prepare for sleep. Well, and part of it too was, and and by the way, I mean, I'm just an average guy. So it's not like anything great. Like anyone can do this. It was what, what I first had to do though, the first step was, and this is, you know, kind of, I talk about this a lot with other stuff too, is the acceptance. Like, what are my priorities? What are my true priorities? And sleep and nutrition are like, you know, basically one, two on that list, right? And uh, so I said, okay, well, if these are important, then what are you going to do to make them a priority versus prioritizing Instagram or whatever, you know, like anything like that, that you, you know, maybe I would do in the past. So I think that was the first step is like, okay, this is truly important. Well, then if it's important, it has to come above everything else. And that's what helped me kind of put the list together and keep, you know, trying and testing and, and those type of things. So that could be something I think for anyone out there listening in is first decide if, if sleep is important. Cause you may, some people to your point earlier, may be like, ah, I don't really need, I can, you know, I'm part of the, you know, half a percent of, you know, the 0.001% that can sleep on under five hours of sleep. Everyone thinks they are right. Um, but that, that's crazy to me because what's hilarious like people say oh but I'm fine but I'm like no you're not like you're you're telling me like oh I get so tired throughout the day or I need coffee in the morning and your body shouldn't need coffee to function so obviously those are signs that you are not fine that you know your body is not doing well with your five hours of sleep or less um so it's funny to see that I think it's really bridging the gap and telling people like we all need it. Um, very, very few people can go about it without, you know, sleeping, but it's extremely rare. Um, and people do have side effects, but they don't think it's because of their sleep. Mm-hmm. So definitely, um, I would say also say like, if you go to your regularly like doctor checkup, just talk about your sleep too. Um, mention your sleep cycle. It's very, very important. Um, and another thing I wanted to bring up too is like flexible working hours when we were talking about policy, I find it so interesting because I didn't know this until very like recently really doing research on this is that discovering that not everyone, you know, that there are like literally people who sleep later at night and have to wake up later throughout the day. And then people who love sleeping earlier at night and waking up earlier 
like during the day. And it's funny because working schedules that are not flexible requires every single employee or every single person to wake up, for example, at 7 a.m. and be at work at 8, right? right? And it's like there are people who really cannot sleep at 9 p.m. There are people who their body, their melatonin releases later. So they probably go to sleep at 1 and they can't do anything about it. And then they, their body maybe wakes up, you know, at 12 p.m. And you have those people who are maybe the ones who drink coffee in the morning and like, don't talk to me until I'm done with my coffee um, because their body is literally not awake and they're wasting time being at work because their brain cannot function. Um, so I think that's also something that's so super interesting is like not everybody, just because, you know, some people wake up at six and, you know, there are those early birds and they can do so much at 6 a.m. doesn't mean that everybody can get there. Um, and I think those are huge misconceptions in today's society too, where people try to change their biological, you know, clock and that's just not possible. Mm. What, what are some, are like you mentioned the board of directors and challenging getting some of those folks. Are you trying to work with like different, like obviously we've, you know, we've talked about Dr. Matthew Walker a ton um, but like other folks like that, that have, you know, kind of getting the backing of like, this is research that's being done. This is acceptable. Like, how do you guys, how do you go about getting those folks involved, you know, different clinical research, you know, folks or, you know, I don't know, universities or whatever. Do you, do you approach them at all or? Yes, no, 100%. Um, definitely approach them. And I think how I've been doing it is just cold emailing or letting them know, you know, or emailing them a few times to get their attention or you know um, LinkedIn has been very helpful because they get to see that I also work in that field um, and then just message, messaging them on LinkedIn just really trying to outreach um, in any way I can Twitter sleep Twitter has been super helpful because um, I now get to know like all these different doctors who work with sleep and like get to regularly you know interact with them so really using social media and like tools to um to people and meet different people online um that's the best way we've gone about doing it is just either emailing them or you know i personally prefer linkedin because they get to see that i'm already on there so it's not just you know a random ask but it just hey let's i'm working on this and they're usually responsive also sometimes not um but that's the way i go about it yeah so if we talk in two years what are you hopeful for two years down the road like Obviously, because you'll be, or will you be out of Columbia by then? Or will you, will be like, because you're not obviously, not, you're trying to do this full time, but you're a student as well. <laughs> like, you know, how do you juggle that? But that's another conversation. But like, yeah, what are you hopeful two years down the road um, with End No Sleep? Okay, with End No Sleep, I, I really want, one of my biggest goals is to have a chapter in 50 different countries um, and really study how sleep and culture um, affect each other. Um, and also to, you know, grow our team um, and uh, to grow our chapters. I think growing our chapters is huge because that's one of the main goals, not only um, because there'll be more people involved, but we'll be able to talk about sleep and the educational material in the most vulnerable countries and communities through with um, students and really raising that next, you know, generation of um, students and like um, talking about the importance of sleep and having them relay that message to their peers. So ch the chapter network has been something that's very huge to me. Um, that way we'll be able to educate more students on this. 
So I want you to go back to your younger self. I always like to ask this. So you're younger yourself. You got to go back to like your 12-year-old, 13-year-old self. And obviously, you know, over the last seven, eight years, you know, it's kind of journey of discovery for you, start the nonprofit, all this stuff. Is there something you've learned along the way that's been the most impactful? Maybe it's a piece of advice and insight, um, something you would share if you kind of could an alternate dimension, go back to that younger self and say, hey, use this to uh, get started with. Anything you would share as a lasting impression? Um, not to get started with particularly, but I would definitely say it's never too early to start. Like, I wish I started this earlier. Um, and I think I could have, for sure. Um, I think right now we have so many resources, so many tools that we can access, especially through Google online that is just absolutely free that um, I feel like I wasted time not doing it earlier. Mm. Um, I think if you're passionate about something and you know what you want, just do it. It's especially if you're younger. I mean, you have more room for trial and error, right? If it fails, it fails. If it succeeds, it succeeds. But you won't know until you try. And because you're younger, you have more time to experiment with that. And then you have more time maybe to, if you don't know what you want to do, to rule out the things you don't. Um, and I think, you know, I wish I had done it earlier. And that's the one thing I say to my younger sister, if there's something you know you want to do, you have a calling for, or something you want to try out, now is the perfect time. Um, you can get support from your school. You can get support from mentors. You just have to reach out. And with social media, honestly, that's been way easier than I think just emailing people because you get to connect with different people and you get yeah. to see you know, images and, you know, through DMs or LinkedIn, et cetera. So um, even Clubhouse now, which is an amazing tool that we can use. So um, that's definitely my um, advice, which I wish I had told to my younger self or I wish somebody had told me um, at 18 that, I mean, or at 16 that you can do it now. Why, why wait? Yeah. yeah. I wish I had that advice at 16. I didn't, I didn't take that advice until I was about 33. Uh, <laughs> late either. <laughs> you never too, no, never too late. Never too late. Um, you know, you just got to kind of put yourself out there to your point. And even if it's not something you're going to do forever, if you're at yeah. least trying it, cause you may not know, you know, I always like to take the, the when Seth Godin was on my podcast, I know one of the things that was really impactful, he said, he's like, it's not always like, this is my passion. I'm going to grow a business. He's like, generally it could be you grow a business and it turns into your passion because it's successful. You love doing it, whatever. So it doesn't have to be like, I got to love this to start it. Just try it. If you want to try it, if you're intrigued, if you're curious, you know? Yeah. No, 100%. Because I didn't know I was passionate about entrepreneurship or I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but then after doing the nonprofit and starting NLCP, I realized that, you know, my father had been an entrepreneur hmm. for many years. In Syria, like entrepreneurship just didn't exist. Um, it was all usually always men um, who held businesses, started them and grew them. So I had never seen myself as like the CEO of the company he owned. Um, but when I was in a country where I was able to do that um, and I realized I love, you know, I love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love growing brands. I, you know, this is something that I'm passionate about. And then I didn't know that until working with and no sleep. So I found a passion for something else as well doing this. Um, so definitely, you, you know, you never know where it may take you, but at least you can tell yourself you tried. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. All right. Where can everyone uh, find you online? Where can they connect? Say hello. Yeah, of course. Um, my website is nancybosnoyan.com, but you can also find me on Instagram at nancybosnoyan.com. 
And he, all my other, you know, platforms have the same first and last name. So awesome. And this was an absolute pleasure. I was glad we were able to serendipitously connect and get you on the podcast yeah. and chat further about this and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by the Just Get Started podcast. Uh, grateful to have you here. And if I could just make one quick ask before you run along on your day, you know, I've grown this podcast organically over the last three plus years. And it's from the great listeners that pick up, you know, a quote or a key learning or just enjoy the entertainment of the podcast and they share it out to their audience. They leave a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Um, and I'd ask that for you as well. If you've made it to this point and are listening in, um, a lot of the podcast uh, platforms that you listen on have a share button right there where you can share it out to your audience on various platforms. So I would be so appreciative if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to do that um, if you really enjoyed this episode. So thanks again. I'm happy to connect online. I always love to meet new people. So if you want to go to my website, brianondraco.com, or connect with me. I'm at Brian Andreco, basically everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, even Clubhouse, that new app that's out there. Uh, you name it. So uh, follow me online and uh, certainly look forward to connecting further. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.